Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What do you want to look out for? Two very angry types of movements. Slow, lumbering, powerful movements. And jerky, erratic, excitable movements. Both coming for the kill. We have confirmation that this is security. You just have to come again. Come again. That's confirmed reports. I repeat, we have confirmed reports of the fire detonations in Philadelphia and St. Hampton. And that was Blue Boy with Grave Fission. Hey there, friends. I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome once again to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with K-Cat's Fallout Equestria. And also, if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh, and as a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro, my My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 30. Hunters and Prey. Virtues. My first real advice, out of the stable, was to find my virtue. Well, no. It was to find a weapon, armour and friends. And as daunting a task as that seemed, I believed I had succeeded admirably. It was the advice that followed, to find that defining, positive characteristic that would get me through the darkest horrors that the equestrian wasteland could throw at me without losing myself, that still eluded me. Instead, I substituted other goals, other quests. I was driven to make this blasted world a better place, a brighter place, for the ponies still trapped within it. 
I felt all my efforts had just hit a wall. Red Eye was just too smart, too devious, and too well organised. I underestimated him at every turn, and he used it against me with skill approaching panache. Even his seemingly insane claim to achieving godhood was backed by a crafty and altogether horrifying plan. The sheer cruelty, the coldly calculated butchering of unicorns in an act that would surpass murder, struck a blow to my very soul. And yet, I could already envision his argument. What is the suffering death of a few dozen, or possibly even a hundred unicorns today, for generations of safety and peace for millions in the future? I tasted bile. The goddess was insane, and yet she was effectively untouchable, immensely powerful, and her army of minions, while considerably smaller in number than Red Eyes, were amongst the most formidable opponents in the entire wasteland, and they were completely devoted, if not directly controlled, by her whims, and her whims amounted to our extinction. And she was such a potent telepath that even if I could come up with a plan, she would rip it from my mind before I could get close enough for her to implement it. We were racing apotheosis, and we were losing. I felt the darkness closing in oppressively. If I ever needed a virtue to hold on to, it was now. But even virtues could turn on you. They could go astray, become warped or perverted. Watcher had told me of the six greatest virtues of pony kind. Kindness, laughter, generosity... Honesty, loyalty, and magic. Although he made it clear that there were many others, and that my own was likely not on that sacred list, I had quipped that I could possibly collect broken, wretched versions of each of these. I was doing far better at that, it seemed, than finding ponies of true virtue. Still, I had been joking. Now I had met the goddess, the thing that was Trixie and I knew I had witnessed the epitome of the corrupted virtue of magic. All I needed was to find the corrupted kindness, and I'd have a set. Oh, but you have met corrupted kindness, Leverpin! The cruel, sweet voice of the goddess blasted through my head, swarmed with a chorus of whispers, mostly agreeing. The weight of her thoughts on my mind was heavy, almost suffocating. It's you! No. No, that was not right. She couldn't be right. I was better than that. I had to be better than that. But even as I fiercely denied the goddess's sadistic suggestion, my mind conjured up doubts and demons as if seeking to prove her right. I'd saved the slaves from old Appaloosa, only to abandon them to the care of a town that traded with slavers. I'd slaughtered the raiders who raped and hunted that blue pony in Manhattan only to walk away and leave her to her fate once the immediate threat had passed. How many more? How many other times have I inserted myself into a situation, tried to help, and then just left? Should I count all of Philadelphia as a victim of my kindness? I remembered my image in the mirror, reflecting my soul. Was twisted kindness what I had seen there? Was it a monster? No. No, this was sick and poison thinking. It was the goddess mercilessly tormenting me where I was weak. I had a virtue, a good and true one, just waiting for me to discover it. I had to. We stepped out of Maripone's most intact structure and into the angry daylight. 
four of the goddess's alicorns guiding us back to where the sky bandit had landed. My pitbuck began to click at me. The balefire bomb had been detonated underground here. The radiation bleeding off the splendid valley sinkhole was nowhere close to the horror of the Philadelphia crater, at least not above the ground. A nearby wall held what appeared to be a map of the building above a pair of water fountains. My pitbuck's click-clicking sped up ominously as I brought it close to them, but I was more interested in scanning the map for future reference. I suspected I might need it. All about us, alicorns watched silently from behind crumbled walls or stood amongst broken pillars and collapsed rubble. Their silent presence was eerie and sinister. Thriving, Velvet Remedy asked in a hushed voice, dipping her head. It feels more like they haunt this place. I nodded, lowering my voice to reply almost instinctively, as if the alicorn silence demanded we speak softly. And have you noticed they haven't said anything? Not one of them had telepathically spoken a word since we encountered them in Splendid Valley. In previous encounters... They'd been boastfully chatty. I think their proximity to the goddess is overwhelming them. Their individual minds are being drowned out by hers. This close, they become little more than drones. Not that I cared much for their individual personalities, Calamity chimed in, whispering. Zanias, they were all variations of goddesses great, ra-ra-ras, yaller insects. Silence ain't entirely ungolden. After a moment of thought, he continued... I reckon it's the tight. Splendid Valley's rap with it. He pointed out. She seems to be able to communicate with her so-called children outside, but nothing like this. And not with normal folk, except in very special cases like Red Eye. But here, she's in our heads like it weren't nothing. I'm betting this whole valley is just a massive amplifier to her. Wonderful. Well, then don't anypony think anything about what we do now until we're out of this goddess's forsaken place. Calamity barked a laugh at my choice of phrasing. The alicorns, of course, said nothing. They wove us through the rubble to a flat of asphalt which had once been a landing zone for sky chariots. The sky bandit sat waiting for us. On the roof, Pyolite danced and hooted at our return. Velvet Remedy stopped. Calamity hesitated, his ears perking as he watched the bird. Hold up there, he whispered, putting a foreleg out to block me. The four alicorns kept walking towards the sky bandit, either unaware or unconcerned that their charges had stopped following. That sounds like a warning. Another alicorn dropped out of the sky behind us and raised her shield. It is. The four alicorns trotted up to the sky bandit, the leader one beginning to turn towards us expectantly, when the asphalt around them erupted in blasts of magical energy. All four alicorns were killed, three instantly within two of them melting to goo the fourth collapsing several yards away, missing multiple limbs and bleeding to death with a pitiful whinny. Velvet's horn flared as her anaesthetic spell allowed the creature to spend her last seconds without pain. The alicorns in the ruins around us stumbled in unison. Two more fell as shafts of coloured light sliced through the air. Velvet Remini muttered something, closing her eyes as her horn flared, and five small, flickering orbs of energy shot out from the tip. One of those orbs drifted swiftly over my head, floated there. One stayed above Velvet. The others sought out Calamity, Zenith, and Pyolite, and hovered over them like tiny guardians. New spell? Velvet Remedy nodded, saying, I'll explain later, as he looked for a way to run. The alicorns in the ruins were bringing up their shields. The air was filling with magical energy blasts. A pack of hellhounds was charging across the tops of the rubble, 
moving with terrifying speed to engage the alicorns under the covering fire of more hellhounds in the valley. They'd mind the landing pad. My mind conjured up images of hellhounds digging up from beneath until less than a half an inch of asphalt separated their holes and the world above, then wander gluing the mines to that thin barrier and filling in the holes behind them. Back inside! I shouted. Regroup first, get out of the line of fire. I turned, only to find we were blocked by the shielded alicorn standing behind us. Beyond her, the doorway back into Mariposa stood dark and empty. The concrete steps leading up to it tore apart explosively as a hellhound burst out of the ground behind us. Massive claws ripped through the alicorn's shield and tore huge hunks of meat from her side as she turned to fight it. The alicorn almost got a spell off before the hellhound ripped his claws through her face, felling her. Insolent curse! A high-pitched whistle blasted through the air and through my head. The goddess projecting both mentally and magically through the ruins of Mariponi's air raid sirens. I pressed my hooves to my ears, but it didn't help. I was unable to think, unable to move under the assault. Calamity, Velvet Remedy and Zenith all did the same. Only the zebra seemed to get any respite from the effort. The hellhound immediately fell, clutching his ears and howling in pain. The others cringed in pain, then turned, fleeing blindly back into the valley. The one in front of us did not fare as well. Three alicorns descended upon him dropping their shields as they skewered the ambushing creature, driving glowing horns through his thick hide. One of the three was hit by a lancing beam of light blue energy and dissolved. A hellhound sniper, who was either far enough away to not be deliberated by the goddess's sonic or telepathic attack, or who had protection from it. Clearly, not all these creatures were poor shots. An orange beam of light hit Calamity, striking him in the wing. For a brief moment, his whole body glowed orange, becoming a calamity-shaped lamp. The little orb over his head popped, and the glow receded back to his wing before evaporating, leaving a hole that I could put my hoof through. Velvet Remedy's spell had saved him from being turned to ash. My Pegasus friend collapsed in shock, his scream drowned out by the goddess's attack. The siren stopped. The attack continued. But now the flurry of poorly aimed beams of magical energy were replaced with a small number of expertly aimed ones. The attacks lashed against the Alicorn's shields. In the wake of the sonic attack, the Alhounds didn't charge the base again. I really should have worn my old armour. Calamity grunted as Velvet Remedy knelt over him, her horn glowing as she tried not to cry. Hi, at least they're not bleeding out, right? The magical energy had warped the flesh of his wing around the wound and incinerated the feathers. Hush now, she ordered. Quiet. Save your strength and let your medical pony do her work. From her pained expression, I could tell it was bad. Another bolt of energy struck the rubble where we had taken refuge. The alicorns had flown out to strike down the snipers. But every time they got close, the hellhounds disappeared into the ground. All they were imagining to do was get drawn further from the base and increasingly separated. The goddess had become recalling several, either suspecting or experiencing a trap. Did you see how all the creatures reacted when the first four were killed? Zenith asked as she hunted through her pouch of bottles and ingredients. If the Trixie monster experiences each alicorn's death, perhaps the death of many at once is painful or disorienting to her. I nodded, filing that away for examination when we were safely outside of the goddess's range. I looked to Velvet and asked, Will he be okay? Will he be able to fly again? Velvet took longer to answer than I would have preferred. I can repair the structural damage to his wing with enough mending spells. 
but I can't heal the wound. He'll need at least one extra strength restoration potion to begin to heal properly. More if he wants to fly again any time this week. And right now, we do not even possess a healing potion. She looked at me sadly. If you remember, I used up all our medical supplies patching you lot up inside stable too. I felt a pang of guilt. Quite a spell you got there. Calamity praised, resolutely ignoring his doctor's orders. You saved my life. Only the slightest smile touched Velvet Remedy's frowning expression. Yes, I had hoped to barter for more medical supplies from Dr. Helpinghoof, but with Tempony Tower surrounded by Red-Eye's forces, he wasn't willing to part with anything more than a few healing bandages. So I spent part of my time there learning a couple new spells. A disintegration ward seemed prudent. Zenith pulled out a vial and offered it to Velvet. She took it and wrapped it in a telekinetic sheath, keeping it floating nearby. She scowled as she added, Unfortunately, this wing needs more than my spells and some bandages to heal. I'm going to need to cut the warped flesh away before I can start rebuilding and mending the bones of your wing, Velvet Remedy insisted remorsefully, addressing Calamity. This is magical damage. If I don't remove all of the affected flesh, your wing will never heal properly. You're going to bleed a lot when I do so, but Zenith has given me something that should reduce the blood loss. She frowned. This would be excruciating, so I'm going to have to use my anaesthetic spell. You're not going to be able to move for the better part of an hour. A beam of pink light struck above the doorway into Maripony. A cinderblack's worth of the wall glowed and dissolved. Zenith turned to me. You made the wagon fly before. Can you fly us all away from here? I shook my head. I've been asking myself the same thing. I can, but floating myself is incredibly draining. I don't think I'll be able to fly very far. And even if I could, I can't move us very fast. And those hellhound snipers would need one good shot to blow us all up. Then we are trapped here until we find medical supplies for the winged one. Dang, girl. Have you not nailed our names yet? I'm Calamity. My apologies, Calamity. I'm not used to thinking in names or to being... The ex-slave Zebra was having difficulty putting her feelings into words. On a level of familiarity where names are appropriate for me to utter. I could have sworn I'd heard her refer to at least one of us by name before. But now that I thought about it, I couldn't place an instance. The closest I could come to her questioning how Calamity got his name. Only the largest figures in her life had ever been given names. Red Eye and Stern had ruled them before they enslaved her. Or figures of legend like Doom Bunny and Nightmare Moon. She'd kept her silence for how many years? I knew how impossible it had seemed to form friendships with my peers in Stable 2, having been the awkward blank flank with the alcoholic mother. Being a zebra in the Philadelphia slave pits would have been much worse. I wondered if she even bothered to learn the names of most of her tormentors. If this was the way she'd come to identify ponies in her mind. Do you believe there may be medical supplies inside here? Zenith asked, looking towards Maripony. I checked my Pitbuck's auto-mapping feature, as well as the scan of the wall map. To my chagrin, Maripony's medical clinic was in the section that had collapsed into the crater. Anything that had been in there would be crushed, scattered, and probably tainted. There were bathrooms that might have had medical boxes, but those would probably not be stocked with the supplies that Calamity needed. I felt it was doubtful, and I wasn't eager to try. The horror of what lurked in there, and what she had done, curdled my blood. I knew the goddess needed us, but what if she changed her mind? I didn't want us to suffer the same fate as Twilight Sparkle. There's a hospital a few miles from here, Calamity announced, surprising all of us. Part of the gem mine in town that served this place. When they shut down the mines, the town was abandoned, 
but they opened Patrick back up to house the ponies who worked at Maripony and their families. I didn't ask how he knew any of this. Calamity had been surviving the equestrian wasteland for many years before we had met. Who knew what rumours and scraps of information he learned? I was content just to be thankful for this change in our luck. Another shot struck the wall I was hiding behind, causing it to glow and melt. I scooted my tail to another bit of cover. We weren't going anywhere until they stopped taking so many pot shots in our direction. And there should be plenty of rooftops to hide out on while I heal, Calamity assured us. I ain't perfect, but probably the safest place from the Hellhounds, if we can get there. We all knew he was talking about several miles travel over Hellhound-infested, irradiated, and taint-soaked landscape. Just point the way, Calamity, I said, sounding more sure than I felt. I have a plan. Yeah, I'll always do, Calamity grinned. Just get us to Old Olney, and we'll be fine. The Hellhounds seemed to lose interest after about an hour. It made me wonder if there was a larger purpose behind the attack, or if this had just been sport. I stood on the railing ringing Maripony's short water tower, my binoculars floating in front of my face. From here, I could make out the shapes of Old Olney in the distance, resting peacefully. An elevated highway passed nearby, going nowhere. The highway had collapsed less than half a mile beyond the off-ramp to the town, leaving a line of rubble and crushed wagons that time and the valley had mostly succeeded in erasing. Turning my gaze towards the horizon, I glimpsed a shadow that may have been Ponyville. Beyond that, the sky turned hazy and thick from the smoke of the ever-free fires. Walking around the rim, I realised I could spot three of those needle-like towers rising into the cloudy heavens above. I was fairly sure that one of them was the same one I had spotted from the outskirts of Cloudsdale, but I hadn't seen the others before. Coming full circle, I looked back again at Old Olney, then traced the path we would have to travel to get there. A set of train tracks that stretched from Old Olney to Maripony, crossing rocky flatland with only minor undulations, save for a gulch with hints of scraggly vegetation and sick, stagnant water. I couldn't make out any details, but the plants beneath the bridge moved as if there was a much stronger wind blowing down the gulch than the faint breeze that stirred my mane. My view turned black as an alicorn flew across my narrow scope of vision, obscuring the landscape. I put away the binoculars, hurrying back down. More alicorns were beginning to return. The ones already here had returned to their silent lurking, seeming to pay us no attention. I was expecting either the goddess or her alicorns to attempt another escort, but it was almost as if they had forgotten we were here. Yet that was impossible. They kept looking right at us. Maybe the goddess was gauging what we would do next. Or maybe she was recovering. She had lost quite a few of her children over the space of an hour. I wasn't the only one who found this behaviour bizarre. Howdy! Calamity said, trotting shakily up to one of the dark purple alicorns and waving a hoof in her face. Remember us? The ponies y'all wanted to find that stuff for you. I got a hurt wing here. If one of y'all would care to hitch yourself up, we can all be out of main that much faster. He turned to me, wobbling a little from the last fading effects of the anaesthetic spell. This is weird, right? Maybe the goddess is taking a great and powerful nap, Zenith suggested. Calamity snorted a laugh that ended in a wince. Hi, Zenith, Calamity suddenly announced. I never said it, but I wanted y'all to know that I'm glad you're free and all. Merciful Celestia. Calamity. Awkward much. Zenith looked at him quietly, then said simply, Thank you. Calamity chewed on that, then tried again. So, those potions you brew, 
any of them good for strengthening armor or helping with equipment maintenance? No, Zenith answered, seeming to understand his intention. She offered politely, I do know many poisonous brews that you should be looking to make your bullets much more lethal. I felt for him. He was trying to connect with the new member of our group. He had been the most welcoming of her, trusting my judgment. But since then, they hadn't really bonded the quiet way Zenith and Velvet Remedy had, or even established the sort of relationship, would rivalry be the best word, grudging respect, that Zenith and Steelhooves shared. They were friendly acquaintances, and I suspected Calamity was trying to find a way to turn that into a true friendship. Calamity trotted round the alicorn. She turned lethargically, keeping him in her sight. I am tempted to start shooting them. Take out as many as we can. Velvet shot him a look of alarm, and he backed down with a grin. I didn't say I was gonna. I just said it was tempting. Zenith shook her head. We should make the most of this respite, and implement the little one's plan without interference. I floated Calamity's enclave armor out of the Sky Bandit, as well as Spitfire's Thunder and our other vital equipment. I didn't want anyone trotting up to it when the area around the passenger wagon could still be mined. As I placed our equipment in the center of the large hunk of capsized wall, Velvet called us to gather close. Pylite landed on her back, puffing herself up and looking important. As a precaution, Velvet was going to cast another ward against disintegration upon us. I had been watching Calamity when his orb burst, but I hadn't realized the ones over the rest of us had disappeared simultaneously. I can cast this spell over multiple friends, Velvet explained as she recast her spell, but if it collapses after any of you are hit, so please be dears and try not to get shot. She turned towards me. Especially you. I really hate this idea. You're too vulnerable. Why is it that you are always the one in the most danger, little Pip? But she knew the answer. We'd been over this before. All my friends gathered on the slab of concrete as I wrapped them and it in a field of levitation. Velvet turned to help Calamity into the Enclave armor, being extremely careful with his partially mended wing. She was wearing the zebra armor again, insisting we minimize the risk as much as possible. Particularly since little Pip seems intent on taking much more than her fair share. I floated the chunk of Mariponi's wall upward, not stopping until it was at least four stories above me. I was counting on the concrete to shield them from the Hellhound's magical energy weapons. I understood Velvet Remedy's concern, but this time it couldn't be helped. My telekinetic magic had grown powerful enough that I could float this large section of wall and all of them on it easily, but adding myself to the mix would create such a strain I'd be lucky to make it halfway without suffering burnout. I agreed to lighten myself enough to prevent my hoof steps from triggering mines or announcing my presence to any hellhound who might be lurking just beneath the surface. But that was all. In the end, Velvet Remedy had to accept it. It had to be me. I started forward, moving around the ruins of Mariponi. The slab of wall with my friends on it floated long high above me. While I would not say as much, I was grateful to be able to take the risk in their place. Was this something Corrupted Kindness would do? As soon as I'd thought that, I pushed it out of my mind. I couldn't afford self-doubts right now. As I reached the cracked edge of the Mariponi base, I hesitated. My pit buck was click-clicking, warning me of the radiation, but there was no sound, no special display of my EFS, designed to warn me of taint. Old Olney suddenly felt a very long way away. Splotches of red on my EFS compass alerted me to more threats. I floated the zebra rifle close and slipped into sats, even as I'd bossed. I was pacing myself. Advice from a book. 
the Egghead's Guide to Running that I pursued in Twilight Sparkle's Anthonium during one of the hours where Homage was playing DJ.3, giving me a chance to catch my breath. I had several miles to go, and I wanted to make the distance as quickly as possible, which surprisingly meant not pushing myself as fast as I could. A spiny dart hit my side, harmlessly bouncing off my armoured utility barding. My targeting spell latched onto the first bloat's flight, then the second. I fired off a three-round burst at each, and the paint-swollen bugs erupted in flame as they fell to the ground. I continued to trot along the tracks, quickening my pace just a little to make up for the seconds lost while shooting, the wall holding my friends floating high above me, keeping pace. We were nearing the gulch. My skin was beginning to itch in strange places. I fretted, wondering if it was a nerve or allergic reaction, or worse, the first symptoms of taint. My EFS compass filled with red. Dozens of little lights appeared, then more. The gulch was swarming with hostile life. I trotted onto the tracks and prepared to break into a gallop, hoping the rather rickety wooden bridge would offer me protection. Something bobbed up over the gulch. I shuddered, staring at the taint-mutated thing. It looked like a plant. Its huge head covered a gas sack that allowed it to float, the stalk dropping down and hanging behind it. A sphincter in the centre of its head tightened and then spat foul goop at me. The spore-laden effluent splattered the ground near my hooves, sending up a choking stink. The equestrian wasteland never seemed to run out of new vileness. Several nearly identical floating spitter plants were moving up out of the gorge towards me. I slipped into sats again, locking targets on the closest two, sending two three-round bursts into the sphincter heads of each monster as a third spray filth at me. I felt the crud splash against my armour and coat, burning where it touched and causing me to drop my targeting spell as I gagged on the stench. The two floaters I'd hit ignited spectacularly. The gas pods thus gave them mobility, rupturing in flame that miniature versions of the Pinkie Pie balloons. Three more of the floating spitter plants rushed up from the gulch, one hitting the burning form of the first one and igniting explosively itself. The second spat spore sewage at me, while the third charged towards me as if intending to latch on and devour. I cantered to the side, dodging the spit and bucked sacks back up, targeting the charging one first, and then the one which had successfully hit me. Bullets burst from the silenced muzzle of the zebra rifle. The two targeted plants became flailing columns of fire, but the floaters kept coming. I dropped the targeting spell and brought it back up immediately, targeting two more. One of the burning plants spit at me, its spore sewage now on fire. Mercifully, the burning crud splashed across the tracks behind me, missing by a yard. My skin was beginning to really hurt where I'd been hit. I dropped out of sats again and shook, flinging the goop away from me, then lifted the rifle and brought up the targeting spell, firing again at the advancing, half-burning herd of plants. One of the burning floater plants tumbled back into the gulch, I could hear more gas bladders catching fire and bursting as a rapid chain reaction quickly set several hundred yards of the gulch ablaze. I sprinted, galloping across the wooden bridge as flames from the gulch began to lick at it. Fierce heat and a choking reek buffeted me as I forced myself across, my eyes stinging. Several of the plants in the conflagration below spit burning spore sewage at me. Most hit the bridge, setting it properly ablaze. Burning effort struck my left flank my hind leg and saddlebags catching fire. I bit down, knowing that a scream could bring hellhounds. I pushed, running as hard as I could, my leg in searing pain. 
I was pouring concentration into a levitation spell on the wall now, the physical agony threatening to break my spell. The fire was spreading up my side. It hurt to breathe. Flames licked at my hooves, burning them. I did scream. I was almost across the bridge, the gulch below a writhing river of fire, when the hellhound tore out of the ground, alerted by my scream. But he was far enough ahead of me that Calamity could target him from the platform above. Four blasts of magical energy knifed down from above, melting the hellhound into coloured sludge. I began to lower the wall, choking on the smoke and the stench of my own burning coat, knowing I wouldn't be able to hold it much longer. It was three yards above the ground when the pain overwhelmed me and I dropped it. I made it to the end of the bridge in a stumbling gallop and collapsed, rolling onto the ground, squirming as I put out the fire on my left side and screaming. Just get to old Olney and everything will be fine, Zenith chimed, her exotic voice taking a mocking tone as she peered at the town below through my binoculars. We had made it to the top of the overpass and were looking down at old Olmey from above. From here, we could see dozens of hellhounds lurking about the town. A couple were even on the rooftops. God dang it! Why do your ponies never listen to me? Calamity asked. I ain't little Pip. Y'all know my plans ain't worth shit. I flopped over, telekinetically floating the binoculars to my eyes. I still couldn't feel anything. Velvet Remedy's anaesthetic spell doing its work. That didn't prevent me from using my levitation spell. In fact, it almost made it easier. I had spent the second half making myself light enough of highlight to carry while I floated the others and the wall behind us. The old unicorn had wasted no time in wrapping me with the rest of our medical bandages as she scolded me for taking on yet another gruesome attack for the team. But with the pain gone, and out of the choking smoke, I felt assured that I had done the right thing. And there was something wrong with me. I could feel it where the spit had hit me something crawling beneath my skin that even Velvet's spell couldn't cover. I had floated my own forehoof so I could check my Pitbuck's medical diagnostic spell. It confirmed that I was suffering from... something. But it couldn't determine what that something was. It wasn't poison, and I checked clean for spore infestation. No. The spore sewage of those floating plants had been laced with taint. I'd never believed I could make the distance without exposure to taint. I'd never been that lucky. Rather, it would be a matter of how much exposure, and how quickly Taint took its toll. I knew that the Society Keeping Tempony Tower's secrets possessed a spell that could purge Taint itself, although I didn't know if I could reverse the damage caused by it. That would be my hope. The ruins of Old Olney included several nearly intact buildings, one of which was the hospital. Sitting on the roof was a contraption I'd never seen before, coloured like a pink and yellow candy cane with periwinkle propeller blades attached to the top. What's that? I asked, pointing it out. I believe that's an Earthpony Skywagon, Calamity said. Trust in an Earthpony to find a way to fly. I could use that, no more running on the ground as I levitated the others to safety. Do you think it still works? I asked hopefully. Nope, Calamity said deflating my daydream of floating everyone behind me while keeping it safely off the ground of the earth pony contraption. But then he added, But I'll bet I can fix it up so she will. Hope resurrected. Perfect! Because that's our plan B! I looked over the rest of the town, noticing a strange glowing antenna array amongst multiple crates and barricades on a roof across the street from the hospital. 
and a scattering of old military vehicles on the road. There was a capsized wagon with metal boxes scattered about it, and a heavy tank half sunken into the ground. Instead of a normal earth pony tone or camouflage coloration, the tank had been painted in bright, multicoloured stripes. The paint job was old and faded, but still added a surprising splash of colour to the town. I laughed. That tank looks like a rainbow! I could think of no logical reason why it should be coloured that way. Really? Is that what they look like? Zenith asked. At my question and expression, she explained, I have never seen a rainbow. I first found the zebra's assertion impossible, then tragically sad, then curious. I looked up at the clouds that sealed off the sky. I'd seen it rain here. I'd seen it rain a lot, in fact. But I'd never seen a rainbow outside, except in posters and illustrations. In fact, the only real rainbows I'd ever seen were in Stable 2, when the apple orchard sprayers were on. The overmare's artificial sunlight would stream through the mist, creating shimmering arcs of beautiful colour. I used to beg my mother to let me play in them when I was younger. She even let me once. Yep, Calamity said in answer to my thoughts. To get a real rainbow, you need either magic or direct sunlight. I ain't been a proper rainbow in the equestrian wasteland, probably, ever. He thought for a moment, then added, Zeb may be in the Everfree Forest, since the cloud cover gets mighty fragmented there. I exchanged looks with Velvet Remedy as a knife slipped into my heart. I'd never thought to miss them until I realised we were living in a world without rainbows. I am going to shoot him, Calamity announced before picking up Spitfire's thunder in his teeth and aiming it over the concrete railing of the overpass, taking aim for one of the hellhounds over town below. No, hissed Zenith, pushing Spitfire's thunder with her hoof. If you shoot them, then you will let them know that we are here. Wait... Velvet Remedy started to suggest, but my focus was on Calamity and Zenith, and their focus was on each other. Calamity started to say something through the gum bit, and then put the weapon down properly to argue. Ah, yep. I figure I can pick out a couple before they realise where the shots are coming from. Then more as they come out of those buildings to investigate. Let them come running towards us. We've got plenty of space between here and there to snap them off with. I was ready pulling out my own sniper rifle levitating my anaesthetized body into an optimal sniping position. Little Pip, wait, Velvet said, but her next words were cut off by our zebra companion. Are you fools? Zenith trotted in place. This is not how you behave in enemy territory. Our enemy outnumbers us, and these are not stupid raiders, but clever opponents. You do not engage them wantonly. Calamity cocked his head. And what would you have us do? Hard and seek? Yes. Zenith nodded firmly. Be alert. Move fast. Keep downwind and to the shadows. Avoid them wherever possible. Kill only those we cannot avoid, and do so swiftly and silently. Calamity looked to me. I'll say we take out what we can where we can from a distance. Less them means less to worry about fighting up close. Zenith sighed, stepping between Calamity and I, facing him. Listen to me. I have watched you. You are a hunter. You know how to hunt, but do you know how to be prey? Calamity took a step back, lifting the bug-eyed visor of his enclave armor to stare back at her directly. I ain't got no interest in being prey. Well, I've spent most of my life as prey, and I know how to survive when you are outnumbered and chased, Zenith informed him, 
Perhaps you should listen. Calamity looked past her to me. Little Pip, you're Carl? Zenith turned towards me too. I weighed the options, but ultimately, I knew the tactics I knew won out. I agree with Calamity. We pick off what we can now before heading in. I floated up the sniper rifle, loading armor-piercing rounds and taking aim. From this distance, I couldn't use my targeting spell to help me, but I had no trouble lining up a headshot through just the scope. Zenith neckered, shaking her head. Calamity picked Spitfire's thunder up off the asphalt over the overpass and took position twenty yards away from me. Damn it, wait! I heard Velvet Remedy shout, but I had already pulled the trigger. The air filled with the sounds of an ear-splitting thunder as we began to fire down on Old Olney. I watched as the head of the hellhound in my sights burst into bloody spray and moved to acquire my next target. The hellhounds were all looking up now, turning and beginning to move. I found a second and fired, but the creature moved too fast. I aimed ahead of him, firing a second shot and then a third. I was no longer able to aim for a specific part of the body. I was just hoping to hit him at all. My second shot did. But it only slowed him down. The third missed entirely. I kept trying. Several shot back, beams of magical energy cutting the air, but we were too far away and too well protected by the overpass to be in danger of anything other than a dedicated sniper. Calamity was having far better luck. Every shot hit its target, crippling or killing. He started picking off the ones in the street as I turned my focus to those coming out of doorways. That worked better. I fell the second. And a third. Oh, crap. Calamity hissed as the hellhound he had turned his aim on dove into the ground, digging through the street like it was wet toilet paper. Calamity fired, blowing the creature's tail off as it disappeared. They weren't coming out of the doors anymore. And as I looked up, I saw the last of the hellhounds on the street disappear into a hole. We had killed ten of them. Well, brilliant. Velvet Remedy face huffed. Both of you. Now they know we're here... And we've attacked them first. She looked cross. Calamity wiggled his wounded wing. Ma Wing disagrees. Velvet Remedy's ears drooped. Now, Zenith told Calamity, you are prey. We are all prey. They came for us on the overpass while I was still paralysed by the anaesthetic spell. The hellhounds weren't foolish enough to come running up the ramp like we had hoped. Instead, they dug their powerful claws into the pier beneath us and began to climb. The first one clawed its way over the railing almost on top of us. Pylite was the fastest to react, filling it with a face full of radioactive green flame. Calamity recovered quickly, firing two of the Novasone rifles in its enclave armor directly into the hellhound's torso as it lashed out with its claws, barely missing the Balefire Phoenix. The monster tilted back dissolving. They're coming up from beneath us, Zenith warned before turning to dig in her satchel. Velvet Remedy cooed to Pyolite. Would you be so kind as to burn them off the pier? Pyolite hooted happily and leapt out over the edge. I heard the roar of flames beneath. Pyolite was able to take out two of them before more on the ground abandoned climbing and started shooting at her. She appeared, dodging and weaving between shots as the magical energy attacks drove her away from the overpass and the ponies she was protecting. Zenith produced a bottle and passed it to Velvet Remedy. Dip the slugs in this before you load them, she instructed. The poison will cripple the creatures if your shot isn't enough to kill them. Velvet Remedy opened her combat shotgun, floating out the slugs and dipping them as instructed, a grim look upon her face. 
two more crawled over the railing. I was ready this time, floating little Macintosh as I slipped into sats and fired into their heads. The hound's brains splashed out the exit wounds. Three more replaced the two I had just killed, and the sound of rending concrete warned me that more were digging directly up through the overpass from the top of the pier. But the Tremblay's anaesthetic spell hit one of the hellhounds, causing the creature to fall. She lifted her shotgun towards another, and hesitated. The hellhound lashed out at her, his claws slashing shallow lines of red across her breast and throat as I telekinetically shoved her back. Surrender, she offered to the creature. Don't make me hurt you. God dang it! Clampy shouted, firing a bevy of magical energy bolts into the hellhound. The creature collapsed into a steaming puddle, leaving Velvet Remedy and Calamity staring at each other through the rising smoke. Don't raise them with them, or they ain't interested. They're people, she shouted back. They have a right to live. Y'all heard the zebra, Calamity shouted, turning to fire at another hellhound as he dug up through the overpass asphalt. They're haunting us. And whose fault is that? She quipped back loudly, throwing a protective shield around Zenith. The hellhound's claws tore through Velvet's shield like it was made of coloured air. The zebra stepped inside the attack, rising on her hind legs, throwing up one hoof to stop the monster's swimming arm, while driving another hoof against the thick hide of his throat. The hellhound collapsed, choking. Has any pony just tried talking with them? Velvet cried out in exasperation. I reloaded little Macintosh as quickly as I could. They were coming faster now. It was getting harder to put them down as quickly as they surfaced, and one good swipe from their claws could kill any one of us. There were bloody hellhound corpses and piles of sludge all around us. We'd managed to kill nearly ten more, miraculously without getting crippled or killed. Even if Velvet Remedy had a point, it was far too late now. I told her so as I fired point blank at a hellhound and somehow missed. The creature bore down upon me with its claws. Velvet Remedy sang a single high-pitched note. The hellhound immediately fell back, its clawed paws covering its ears. It turned and fled down the hole it had come out of so fast I didn't have time to bring up my targeting spell and shoot it in the back. Velva continued to hold the note, clear and strong. I looked around. The other hellhounds were disappearing, all fleeing the overpass. Once they were all gone, Velva's voice finally broke, panting as she fixed us all with a glower. Savage animals and monsters are one thing, but with people, there's usually a way that doesn't require killing each other. We moved cautiously into Old Olney. The sun was beginning to set, and I wanted to get into the hospital and out again before the coming darkness put it as an even greater disadvantage. We were taking Zenith's advice now, not engaging, moving swiftly and quietly. Of the group of us, only Velvet Remedy was unskilled at stealth, so I was floating her along with us. The faint glow from my horn and that shining around her worried me. It was like I was painting her as a target, but from our experiences, it seemed the hellhounds hunted by sound more than sight, possibly by scent as well, so it felt more important to keep her hooves off the ground. As we pushed through the remains of the building, I spotted several pony-shaped figures laying on a floor above us through the collapsed section of a ceiling. I waved a hoof at the others. Hold up, I want to take a look. I floated myself upwards, sweating with the effort, my horn glowing brighter. There were no red marks on my EFS compass, no sign of life on the floor above at all, so I felt momentarily safe in pushing myself. As I levitated through the hole, I could see the bodies were of steel rangers, three of them clad in metal armour, 
and a fourth who was not. The fourth sparked my curiosity. A yellow unicorn mare wearing thickly armoured red robes, with the sparks and gear symbol of the Steel Rangers embroidered into it. I had not seen a ranger wearing anything other than the Steel Ranger armour, save for Elder Boobrew Sabre. All four of them had died from terrible wounds inflicted by Hellhound Claws. The bodies were desiccated. They had been here for quite some time. The Hellhounds had mined the four around the bodies, one by one. I disarmed them. I began scavenging them, searching for any clues as to what brought these four to Old Olney, as well as any supplies or ammo that might benefit us. I was in luck. The rogue pony had two stealth bucks and a memory orb. One of the other rangers had magically enchanted ammunition that was of the same calibre as Calamity's normal battle saddle. I brought my treasures back to the others. Y'all ain't planning on looking into that bear orb while we're old Olney, right? Calamity said with a gentle warning. Y'all remember our little talk, don't you? I nodded solemnly. I Pinkie Pie swear. Yo, what now? Never mind, I'll tell you later. And yes, I promise. As we moved to the edge of the street, my EFS warned me that there were at least four hellhounds around the corner. I halted everyone. We might be able to take them. We had surprise. But it would only take one good swipe from them to behead one of us, and the fight would draw others. No. We would continue to follow Zenith's advice. I motioned everyone back the other way. I hate this. Calamity muttered in a whisper. I want to hunt the hunters, not play these scurrying games. I ain't a rabbit. Zenith gave a wry smile. Humility does not come easy to you, does it? Calamity turned to her. What's that supposed to mean? Are you saying I'm a show-off? She wouldn't be entirely wrong, would she? Velvet Remedy purred with just the right tone to soothe and embarrass the Pegasus. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The partially collapsed firehouse tilted at an insane angle, making the entire world seem alien and threatening. Calamity, Velvet Remedy and I scrambled across the maze of broken floors and leaning columns. Pylites swooped between floors, occasionally diving down into the bright red firehouse wagons that lay crushed and partially buried under swathes of flooring. A hellhound lurched into the doorway behind us, only to find Zenith waiting for it. A swift blow beneath the ribs throws the creature in place, paralysing it. As it fell, a bolt of magical energy shot through the doorway, striking the zebra in the throat. She glowed brightly, and the orbs over our heads burst. Zenith fell, bleeding from a wound in her throat the size of a memory orb. Velvet Remedy struck the monster with an anaesthetic spell, then rushed to Zenith, floating out her dress and using it to apply pressure to the wound. The dress was quickly ruined as it soaked with blood. Can I please kill him? Calamity huffed. Velvet frowned, not saying anything. Zenith rasped. Yes, silently, and cut them open. The blood, smell. 
The hellhounds were hunting us, tracking us now clearly by scent. I understood what Zenith intended, as did Calamity. Velvet Remedy turned away, unwilling or unable to watch as we slew the two hellhounds. We made it quick and merciful. It was the least we could do, considering that we were about to defile their bodies. This ends any chance of diplomacy, Velvet moaned. I hesitated, floating a jagged piece of sheet metal out of the debris and positioning it over the hellhound's body. I had to disembowel him, spread his stink, cover our path with the stench of his death. It was vile. Slowly, I lowered the jagged metal, slashing at the hellhound's armoured hide, slowly sawing into him. It was incredibly hard, and the reek was unbearable. I took what little comfort I could in knowing that at least he had died quickly and without pain. Corrupted kindness, the little pony on my head whispered in the voices of the goddess. Please, no. By the time I was done, I felt sick to my stomach. I'd killed plenty, but this made me feel like a raider. My mind conjured up the image of myself, bleeding, wearing raider armor, the image from the magical mirror. There were bathrooms on the floor above, and medical boxes in each of them. Cracked mirrors and shattered toilets leaned at crazy angles. The whole tilt of the building was making me nauseous, even more than I already was from the grisly work before. My pitbuck complained as I got close enough to the sink for it to scan the contents of what little plumbing remained functional. The levels of radiation in the water here rivaled, and usually exceeded the levels in Philadelphia. I sat, braced against the wall, and picked the lock on the medical box in the little mare's room. The lock clicked open with ease. I opened it, emptying the box of its meagre medical supplies and adding them to the supplies of the medical box from the little buck's room. Nothing that would help Calamity's wing, but the small healing poultice would close and heal Zenith's wound. The wasteland sometimes gave small favours. I pushed myself up, feeling unsteady on the cantered floor, and hurried back to the others. They were gathered in what had been the firehouse kitchen. Velvet Remedy took the poultice and applied it then borrowed a needle and thread from Calamity's clothing repair kit. A cabinet two buildings back had offered up a bottle of apple whiskey, half empty. I whimpered inside as the drink went to sterilising the needle. I could use a sip. I contented myself with the draught from my last canteen. It was nearly empty. I itched in ways I shouldn't itch. The poultice had stopped the bleeding and partially closed the gaping wound in Zenith's neck. Velvet began to sew the wound closed completely. Even with Velvet's expert attentions, the wound was going to remain an ugly scar for the rest of her life. I realised not for the first time that the zebra would be dead if the magical bolt had struck her an inch differently. Now, you wait here and rest, Velvet ordered the zebra mare. And little Pip, you watch her. I'm taking Calamity to find something to use as rags to clean you butchers off. Velvet stuck her nose in the air and trotted out. Calamity scowled but follows pausing next to me long enough to remind me. No orbs. I watched her walk out after her. Rags? Sounded more like an excuse to talk to Calamity alone. I let out a long sigh. Worst day ever. It wasn't, but ever since we entered Splendid Valley, the day had been working very hard at becoming so, becoming a lunar-tier level of badness. Zenith lay still for almost a full minute, before getting up and moving about the kitchen. She had to brace herself on sloping counters as she rifled through the cabinets. Well, at least you're as good at following doctor's orders as the rest of us. 
I chuckled as the zebra started pulling pots out and setting them on the table. One of them slid down the incline. I caught it magically before it hit the floor. Zenith? I asked as a worry from the days before flooded back. Do you trust me? Without turning from her task, she replied by asking, Trust you about what? It was a dodge, but still a fair question. Do you trust me as a person? No, she said simply. Should I? I was taken back by the cool and honest answer. Why not? You are an impulsive and you have difficulty controlling your urges, she said as she opened the refrigerator door and pulled out a hunk of something covered in grotesquely mutated mould. She set it on the table and I caught it as it tried to slide away, recoiling from the sight of it. You are a very quick thinker and equally swift to act, Zeneth continued, crouching to check the lower drawers. This makes you adaptable, perhaps more than any pony or zebra I have ever known. It allows you to improvise where others would have paralysed, but it also leads you to rash actions from hasty decisions and gets you into trouble just as often as it gets you out of it. She finally pulled a knife from one of the drawers. She set it on the counter. I caught it too as she turned to look at me. Although those are just my observations, and I have not known you very long. She looked me over. Why do you ask? I wasn't sure what to feel. I wanted to argue with her, but a large part of me suspected she was right and cursed her for being so observant. Do you think I'm evil? Zenith stopped, looking at me oddly, and then laughed. No, little one. You are one of the most caring souls I've ever met, pony or otherwise. Again, the little pony in my head whispered corrupted kindness in the voices of the goddess. Do you think I'm cursed, then? At her odd expression, I clarified. I have been touched by homage. The zebra turned back to scouring the kitchen, pulling pans out of a lower drawer to get at a spark battery-powered hot plate. Of that, I am quite aware. I felt myself flush nervously. What do you mean by that? There are lovers who are quiet, and there are ones who are not, Zeneth stated. You are not one of the quiet ones. Oh no, dear sweet Celestia. You are what my tribe would call a whinnier. I felt myself blushing hotly. I wanted to throw myself into the Splendid Valley sinkhole out of sheer embarrassment. You mean all those each? I squeaked. Yes, Zenith confirmed. Each. It took me several minutes and an old sack that the zebra had given me before I stopped hyperventilating. Can you breathe now? Zenith asked gently. I nodded. I think so. The medical pony is right, Zenith said with a soft smile. You are cute when you are that colour. I felt faint, my breathing threatening to quicken again. I took a moment to compose myself as best I could. So, I am I cursed? Because I love homage? She paused, then turned away. I waited for her to answer. The answer I received was not what I had expected. The zebras may have been wrong about Nightmare Moon. She admitted. You ponies may have been right. The wielders of the elements of harmony may have broken whatever hold the stars had over Nightmare Moon. Luna may have been different. She turned to me. But that does not mean that the touch of the stars was still not upon her. That it did not influence her in more subtle ways. She looked to me. I am open to your beliefs, but I ask that you be open to mine. Perhaps there is truth in both. 
I frowned. I didn't want there to be any truth in her beliefs, but I had seen things that suggested otherwise. Things that suggested that maybe there was something dark and terrible up there in the vast emptiness that stretched behind the moon. But Amarge isn't evil. She's not twisted. She is no Nightmare Moon. I insisted. In fact, she saved our lives. She saved yours. Zenith nodded with a sad smile. And would you not say that it was quite an amazing shot? Absolutely. It was a... what? That weapon from the stars wants to kill, Zenith said. It yearns to kill. Okay, now that was just creepy. I will accept that Homage is a good and kind pony, and that she is not cursed, because you ask me to. Zenith conceded. Even though I do not trust your judgment, I believe you speak truthfully in this, and I suspect you are better experienced at matters of the heart than I am. I smiled, feeling a touch of relief. Thank you, Zenith. The Zephyr shook her head. But, I ask in return, you keep an open mind to the things I believe, and a watchful eye for warning signs. The stars take the greatest delight in giving us the means to destroy ourselves and each other. Do you truly think that your relationship has not changed now that she has taken a life for you? I felt a chill. I had not considered that before. Or if I had... I'd seen the consequences as being entirely beneficial. She had saved my life. How could that not bring us closer? But had I not, that very night, wept in front of her for having killed a steel ranger? Regardless of whether Zenith's superstitious fears were justified, she had led me to re-examine what had happened in a less self-centred way. I looked up into the zebra's eyes. Thank you! I floated the whole array of pots and pans. Zenith had quickly discovered that no surface in the room was flat enough to safely cook on after a mishap with the hot plate. Not far outside, Calamity and Velvet Remedy had started arguing. We could hear it from inside the kitchen, but could not make out the words. Not that I wanted to. Zenith fretted, worried that their discussion would attract more hellhounds, but so far, they were keeping their voices low enough. Still, it added an unpleasantness to the air. I distracted myself by returning to an earlier part of my conversation with Zenith. Do you trust me to tell you the truth? Yes, little one. Unless you believe it is in my best interest to lie. Crap. I hated to think that she might be right about that. I would have preferred to be more like Homage. But if it came to telling the truth or protecting my friends, I had a track record of choosing the latter. And while I regretted the necessity, it was rare for me to reconsider the choice. Did this mean that I was playing Steelhoofs or Marge's Applejack? Well, would you trust me with your life? I asked as Zenith took the knife and started scraping chunks of mould into one of the pots. She finished, then put the knife down. I caught it again. It is not a matter of trust. You saved my life. You are responsible for it. Ugh. More insane zebra logic. Even worse, since it was insane, understandable zebra logic. I have not chosen to release you from that. Frustrated, I asked, Why not? Look where following me has got you. You nearly died. I've taken you from one hellhole straight into another. The zebra looked at me, a touch of sadness in her eyes. Then she turned away. She filled a pot with horribly irradiated water, then began to mix the mould into it, not answering me. I sat and watched. 
At the very least, maybe I would learn something. One by one, she added more ingredients, none of which looked healthy. I hope this wasn't anything we were intending to consume. Don't talk, she said, although I wasn't talking at all anymore. Be quiet. Run. Hide. Her voice was low and heavy. Get your food and hide, or a pony will take it from you. Don't talk. When they come for you, relax. Let them do what they will do. Don't fight. Don't scream. Don't talk. She looked up at the canted ceiling. When they hurt you, grunt. Whimper. Don't talk. Always the same, until they get bored. Then hide and heal. Prepare for the next time. She looked to me. If they move to kill you, kill them. Then hide the body. Hide it well. Find another place to be. Don't let them suspect you. Be meek. Don't talk. Hide. A cold shiver passed through me as I stared at the scarred zebra mare. It was only after a truly exceptional horror that I dared to join the fights. I did not wish them to see that I could fight, but I could no longer bear it. She lowered her head, looking to me with tears in her eyes. Before you, the slavers... Before the slavers, my husband. Before him, my parents. I have never owned myself. I am not comfortable with the idea. I know this role. I can survive it. I shook my mane. I might be responsible for you, as you say, but I'm not a slaver. I do not own you. And for that, you are better than all the others, Zenith admitted. But the fact remains that I do not know how to live being responsible for myself. I think... I told her. You'd do fine. The hallway tilted at such a nauseating angle that I was walking as much on the wall as the floor. I followed close to Calamity, keeping an eye on my eyes forward sparkle for hellhounds. We were hunters again, at Zenith's request. Another one's at our six, I whispered to him as the light appeared on my compass. Supply room, I think. I see it, Calamity nodded, reminding me that the bug-eyed style visor in his armour had an EFS of its own. Crouching low... The Pegasus moved stealthily forward until he was in position directly in front of the door, his four magical energy rifles pulsing eagerly. I telekinetically pushed open the door, holding it so gravity wouldn't swing it back shut. A skewering dart shot out of the supply room, bouncing harmlessly off the forehead of Calamity's black carapace armour. Humph, he chuckled, raising on his haunches and striking at the bloat sprite with the stinger of his armour-segmented scorpion tail. The impaled creature squealed as it died. (laughs) <laughs> he said, chuckling. Ever wish these things could detect the threat level instead of just the threat? I almost wasted a lot of ammo on a bug. I smirked. Often! I turned back to our other friends, motioning them forward. Velvet nodded and nudged Zenith, who was crouching and facing the other way, guarding our flank. My eyes forward sparkled tracked a friendly spot of light as pilots swooped in and out of the rooms, searching for enemies to burn, or rodents to eat. The Balefire Phoenix returned to the drop of charred corpse of a small animal at Velvet Remedy's hooves. Oh, thank you, Velvet sang lusciously, stroking the bird's plumage with a gentle hoof. Pylite hooted happily and stretched her wings before fluttering off again. It boggled my mind. You know, you're just encouraging her to keep doing that. And why wouldn't I? 
Velvet said sweetly. My little pilot is a wonderful hunter, just like she should be. Calamity gave a grumpy look in Zenith's direction. At least, I assumed it was a grumpy look. With my friend hidden inside that armour, I really couldn't tell. But his posture struck me as grumpy. I decided I preferred my friend out of that armour. It made him look mysterious and rather evil. And it put up a barrier between us that I didn't care for. I'd gotten used to it with steel hooves, but not being able to see Calamity's face just felt wrong. She is a bird of prey after all, Zenith reminded us. Zenith eyed the charred corpse and shook her head, then cantered towards us, moving with surprising ease down the off-kilt hallway. Calamity flexed his injured wing, and I thought I heard him mutter, So was Anne not so long ago. So, Calamity? I piped up, pulling his attention away. I had a question that needs a Pegasus's expertise. Shoot, little pip, he said, seeming to cheer up. If I wanted to clear away a large area of clouds, say the area over Manhattan. Say, just as a totally random example, the area above a megaspell chamber which requires sunlight to function. How could I do so without having the enclave all over me? Calamity nickered. Oh no, what you planning now, little pip? Just theoretical. Uh, yep, sure it is, he said, clearly not buying a word of it. Zenith moved up to the body of the bloat sprite. Perfect, she intoned, opening her satchel. Leaning down, she tore off its wings and spat them into the satchel. Now I must find a room to complete the brew. Zenith moved ahead, taking the lead again. Do I even want to know? Calamity said. From what I've seen go into it, I'd prefer not to. Returning to my question, Calamity informed me. Well, there's only one way to clear an area that big fast, and that's the sonic rainbow. The gears in my head started turning. Uh, of course, the Enclave's response would be swift and deadly, but you might have clear skies for over an hour. He chuckled ruefully. Which, sad to say, requires a Pegasus capable of performing one, of which the Equestrian Wasteland has exactly zero. The gears ground to a stop. Damn. I'm sorry, little pip. Show off or not, that's one trick I ain't never been able to do. Very, very few Pegasus I can and the Enclave keeps them real close. When the firehouse had started to topple, the building came to rest against the Maripony Mining Administration building. A canted firehouse window hung open about five feet from the opening of a shattered window on the opposite building. Just a hop, a skip and a jump! I told Calamity with a smile. I remembered wearing Enclave armour from riding Rainbow Dash's memory. It might look fearsomely heavy, but it was amazingly light. There was no reason Calamity shouldn't be able to do this easily. Calamity braced against the sloping floor. Easy to say for Yalo ain't never had to do something like this without your wings. He looked at me. If I fall, Yalo ready to catch me, right? Just float him across. Zenith suggested from the opposite window where she and Velvet Remedy were waiting. <laughs> I like that plan better. I rolled my eyes then whispered to him. But which do you think will impress Velvet more? Calamity straightened up, shook his fears off, galloped and leapt. He made it with five feet to spare. Show off. My turn. I looked down the sloping floor and across the gap to the opposite windowsill. It wasn't even with this window, maybe two feet higher. I swallowed. In Calamity's defence, the tilted floor was throwing me too. I galloped forward, lightening myself at the last moment. 
After I had the momentum I needed, I sailed across, smacking into Calamity's armoured tail. See? He joked. I told you. Nothing to it. I snickered and shook my head. The room was an open office space filled with desks and terminals, none of which had survived well. I checked my EFS and found red lights moving about us, probably on the floors below. I motioned the others to be quiet. Once again, I levitated Velvet Remedy as we moved. As we passed the last of the desks, I noticed an orange and yellow book laying in an open waste bin. I floated it out. The Big Book of Boom, announced the cover, adding beneath, The Dynamite Guide to Handling Explosives. Below that was a picture of the author, Red Three Hooves Runner, with a cartoon balloon saying, Yeah, better handle her right the first time, cause she won't explode twice. The book was crammed full of notes and papers. I took it away to look over later. Underneath was an audio recording. I downloaded it into my pit buck and slipped the ear bloom into my ear. Surely Calamity wouldn't mind this. Listening to the recording wouldn't remove me from my surroundings. Mining offers a torchwood to all concerned personnel. First order of business. We will be having a surprise inspection in two days. Every pony needs to be well rested and at the top of their game. Maripony Operations Overmare Sunny Days is authorised a half day tomorrow so that every pony can get plenty of rest and have their uniforms cleaned and starched. Any pony who uses this time to go to Ponyville and get drunk will not be allowed back into the Maripony facility or any operations building within Old Olney and will be docked to one week's pay. Baskets, make sure you have proper headgear this time or you will find yourself no longer employed by Maripony Mining Co. Second order of business. Maripony Mining Co. has increased demand for productivity. This means you can expect an increase in work hours of 20% with a corresponding 15% increase in your paychecks. Officers who teams exceed the new quotas will receive a bonus. I cannot say what the bonus is, but I can let you know that the bonus will include ice cream. Likewise, we will be opening up several previously restricted tunnels to mining operations. The Maripony Mining Co. assures you that these tunnels meet and exceed our minimum safety standards. Third order of business. There have been increased reports of trespass by relocated diamond dogs. Now, I don't know if this is a territorial pack mine thing or if they're just stupid, but if you find a diamond dog on Maripony property, you want to instruct the dog to leave. If the diamond dog refuses, use a sonic deterrence up and miss it. Ask your team officers for the newest line in D4. Diamond Dog Deterrent Device Whistles. Now with convenient neck-wrapping loops. Fourth order of business. Thanks to Brickbane, we've had to reset our days without serious injury brought back to zero. Fortunately, Brickbane will recover the use of most of her limbs. Remember, D4 neck-wrapping loops should be kept short so that your whistle cannot dangle into mining machinery. Keep up the good work, everypony! I turned off the air bloom. We had reached the stairwell, and my EFS had lit up with more hostiles. Two hellhounds lurked visibly at the bottom of a stairwell down. They were wearing makeshift armour, and one of them carried a magical energy minigun. There were more around the corner. One of them started sniffing. I motioned the others back and looked to Zenith. In theory, the potion she had brewed was altering our scent, making us smell like mould and bloat sprites. Still... Going down to street level was out unless Zenith thought now was the time to go on the offensive. The zebra shook her head. She slipped forward and started up the stairs towards the roof. If I remembered correctly, this would put us across the street from the hospital. I don't even think Calamity could clear Old Olney's main street with just a hop, a skip and a jump.
What am I looking at? It was not the first time those words had come out of my mouth. A late evening wind moaned through old Olney, pulling at our manes and tails. A yard from my hooves was the lumpy puddle of sludge, which once had been the hellhound sniper positioned on the rooftop of the Maraponi Mining and Administration Building. Calamity had fired on him the moment we burst out into the roof, liquefying the creature before it could attack or howl. A strange antenna sat in the centre of the sagging rooftop, humming softly, surrounded by magical gemstones that radiated a soft blue light. Around the antenna were several tables, one of which was still intact and held a glowing terminal that faced away from us. The others had been clawed to shreds. Strange silvery boxes sat nearby, all but one of them similarly shredded. Hellhound claw marks sliced into the barricades that ringed the roof. There were several dead ponies up here, all of them pegasi, all wearing the same black carapace armour. Enclave scouting party? I asked Calamity. Calamity trotted round to the other side of the terminal. I have no idea what they could be doing in Old Olney, or down here at all for that matter. His voice was grim, but I aimed to find out. I recalled what Amarja told me about the night she found the weapon from the stars. Joke Blue had suggested it was some sort of Grand Pegasus Enclave experiment. Perhaps she had not been so wrong after all. Maybe I should try hacking in? I blurted out, wanting to see what secrets the terminal held. Calamity's armoured head looked up, and he lifted at the armour's visor. He chuckled. Be my guest, he said, stepping away and welcoming me to the terminal with a swing of his scorpion-like tail. But I don't think you'll be able to hack this one. Come on, Calamity! I laughed good-naturedly. I haven't met a terminal yet that I can't hack. I puffed myself up, taking that as a challenge. Y'all ain't never met an enclave terminal, Calamity said knowingly. I stuck my tongue out as I trotted over. Technology's all the same. This is me, remember? The little mare with the pitbuck on her flank? Let me at it! I stopped as I caught sight of the terminal interface. It was made of a strange white substance that I couldn't identify. I reached out to touch it, and my hoof went straight through it like there was nothing there. It was made of... clouds. What the fuck? Calamity laughed. I looked about. The enclave supply boxes all had locks that were made of the same material, either white or a light shade of pink. I looked to him, demanding an explanation as the podium my head ranted that this was not how things should be. Well... What do y'all expect pickers I build stuff out of? There are whole cities up there built almost entirely out of clouds. I could feel him grinning behind that damn helmet. What? Did you believe only Yarnacom ponies had any magic of their own? I stopped, frustrated. The very idea of terminals on locks that I couldn't get into because they were made of clouds was just wrong and unfair. The words of the goddess floated back to me, with controls that can only be operated by a pegasus. Fuck. The Ministry of Awesome had built key control systems out of fucking clouds. Any pony other than a Pegasus who attempted to operate the controls would find themselves clutching slightly damp air. A thought occurred to me. Is there anyone other than a Pegasus who could operate a system with a cloud interface? Nope. Calamity said proudly. Then swiftly took it back. Uh, yep. Griffins can. And that's how Red Eye was planning to get past that obstacle. And I knew he was trying to get past the second. We were on the clock again. I sighed, tossing up my hooves in exasperation, and trotted back to the others, letting Calamity work on hacking the terminal. Instead, I moved to the edge of the building. I floated out my binoculars and looked out across the street at the hospital. It looked shaken, 
There were massive cracks running up the walls, and one corner had collapsed. A sign, a yellow cross with a pink butterfly in the centre, had started to pull free from the wall two stories up. The upper bolts had torn away from the wall, and the whole sign hung precariously over the street below. Most of the windows were shattered, and the winds of old Olney whipped at stained hospital curtains. Even still, it was one of the most intact buildings in old Olney, and it was our best hope for the medical supplies we needed to fix Calamity's wing. I looked across the rooftop. I could see the Earth Pony flying contraption clearly, with its candy-coloured paint job lit up clearly in the setting sun. The name Griffin Chaser 2 emblazoned on the side. It looked in sore disrepair, but I trusted Calamity's expertise. I looked down into the main road of Old Olney, a main street with a set of train tracks running down the centre. Hellhounds scampered about, moving from one building to another in packs, hunting us, and night was falling. I was staring at the spikes that adorned the top of the wrought iron gate. They were ugly things, painful looking. I nodded my horn towards one of them, and the metal glowed with beautiful blue magic, reshaping itself instantly into a happily prancing mare. I sent up a prayer of thanks to Celestia and Luna. I was in a unicorn mare. It felt good and right. Even better, I was in sunlight. Perhaps the brightest, cleanest sunlight yet. The air was dusty but clean, reminding me yet again of how odd the air in the real world was. I turned my eyes over to the next one and wove the magical spell over it. This one became a prancing unicorn stallion. I was struck by how much it resembled Prince Blueblood, almost a perfect likeness. The next spike glowed and transformed into a unicorn mare, head bent as if she was mid-charge. Her horn aimed dangerously close to Prince Blueblood's. Behave yourself, Rarity. I heard myself whispering in Rarity's lovely voice. The blue glow of magic surrounded the two figures again, and they were transformed into an entirely different, happy and generic pegasi. I felt a strange thrill as I realised who I was, followed by a flash of guilt. That old spell, huh? came a voice from directly behind me. I turned, the blue pegasus with the shockingly rainbow-coloured mane moving into view. It's not polite to sneak up on ponies, Rainbow Dash. I wasn't sneaking, the pegasus said defensively. I was just flying. It's not my fault flying's quiet. Rainbow Dash was wearing the purple and black uniform I'd seen her in before. So, what have they got you all the way in this dustbin for? Rarity looked around, and I was treated to the sight of old Olney. Intact and well-maintained, and bustling with ponies. I was able to see the shops and the homes that I had only known as ruins. And yet, as glorious as this look into the past was, I was clearly not seeing old Olney in its heyday. Most of the shops were boarded up, there was a sense of disuse hanging over most of the town, and the bulk of the ponies were either military or associated with the Ministry of Arcane Sciences. Apparently, Rarity said ruefully, they're having trouble with the diamond dogs again. Flattish Eyes tried to talk to them, but it didn't work. So some pony thought they might pay more attention if I were to talk to them. Gee, Rainbow Dash snickered. I wonder why. Why indeed? Did Flattish Eyes try to tell them that this wasn't at home anymore? Rainbow Dash asked, hovering in the air in front of me. Oh, you know, but it's dangerous. Of course she did, Rarity said. Fluttershy even tried to compromise. Oh, brother. Rainbow Dash face hoofed. But that was when they discovered the Twilight's magical... My host searched for the best word. Byproducts, shall we say. 
have started eating through the barrels. Sunny lost a pony trying to move them when several tore open like they were made of nothing more than the covering paint. I watched us look Rainbow Dash up and down. You know, I still can't believe you are wearing that. Hey, we're Luna's elite aerial force. What else are we going to call ourselves? How about anything other than the Shadow Bolts? Rarity suggested primly. Why I see it, why not play to the Zebra's crazy Nightmare Moon phobia? The original Shadow Bolts were all just Nightmare Moon, right? Rainbow Dash grinned conspiratorially. Why not use that to our advantage? Every Zebra who sees us coming and flees the battlefield is one less Zebra we have to kill, or who might kill one of us. Still, I can never get used to seeing you like that. Well, actually... Rainbow Dash put a hoof behind her head, brushing her mane. I had an idea about that. Do you think you're on dressmaking skills up to working with armor? The Pegasus raped. Rainbow Dash, you wound me. Ow! Came a shout from somewhere to my host's left. A moment later, a dusty pony in a military uniform galloped to a stop and offered a salute to Rainbow Dash. Rarity stepped back. At ease, uh... Rainbow Dash looked at the pony's uniform. Tank Commander! Touchwood, man. Big fan. Followed your career since the Wonderbots. Rainbow Dash's face brightened. Oh, really? Did you see me the gallops last year? My host shook her head. I see you're going to be busy for a while, Dash. I'll catch up with you later, she said graciously, even though it was the Pegasus who had sought her out. Do you think you'll be free by dinner? Rainbow Dash turned back. Oh, yeah, no problem. I just want to throw some ideas past you. I could feel Rarity smiling. Oh, also, Rainbow Dash added, swooping close and whispering, I heard some rumors that you're working on a new spell with the Ministry of Peace. Something about keeping a pony alive and awake indefinitely. Suspended animation, yes. Although that's a very poor description of it. Rarity replied, nodding. And I'm working it for them, not with them. Part of a private line of research that has recently borne some fruit. But it still needs some fine-tuning. Dash grinned. Great! Because that sounds like just what I've been looking for. Rarity raised an eyebrow. Dare I ask? Oh, it's just part of the Sickle Pegasus project. I could feel Rarity frown. You mean that thing that has you putting those dreadful eyesores all over our lovely Equestria? They'll look better once they're done, I promise. Apple Bloom says they'll be elegant. You like elegant, right? Indeed I do, but I'll wait until I've seen them. Rainbow Dash's muzzle broke into a big grin. Just wait till you see the made up. Actually, you can glimpse its construction if you stand up on the roof of the hospital. Just face towards the water tower and look about a hundred miles up and out. Rainbow Dash paused. You, uh, might be binoculars. Or a telescope, Rarity retorted. Hey, yeah. Anyway, it's not named yet. They wouldn't let me name it when I wanted to, even though it's my damn project and my ministry. So... You wanted to name it Rainbow Dash's mega-cool centre of awesomeness, didn't you? Rarity asked, ripping back. No! No, 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 no! Rainbow Dash hovered indignantly, then admitted... Not exactly. Rarity laughed a charming and happy laugh. Go tend to your fan, Dash. I'll meet with you later. Rainbow Dash grinned, waved, and swooped back to Tank Commander Torchwood. In seconds, they were deep into gushing over the aerial acrobatics of Rainbow Dash, a Pegasus who could apparently do sonic rainbooms in her sleep. Rarity turned and trotted away, humming a joyful tune.
What did you do? Zenith was demanding of calamity as I came out of the memory. The Pegasus cantered nervously. I don't know. It just started doing that. My ears perked, picking up a high whine coming from the antenna array. I looked to Calamity, who was staring at the terminal as if it had betrayed him. With a sinking feeling, I asked, Did you trigger a lockdown? Calamity shook his head. Nah, I got in just fine. Weren't that hard? He looked up at me, his eyes wide inside of the bug-like nightmare helmet. And what is this place? Was it what you thought? Calamity swallowed. It's an enclave experiment, all right. Under the orders of Arbringer, one of the enclave's high council. They were playing with magic like Sonics, hoping to control the Hellhounds. They were trying to make these creatures into slaves, Zenith said in a low voice. I looked around, drinking in the sight of the rooftop with new eyes. I'm guessing it didn't work. What do you think of the chances that we are very lucky and Calamity just triggered the leave us alone signal? Velvet Remedy quipped grimly, trotting to the roof's edge and looking down into the street. She immediately backed up, eyes wide and frightened, her face going pale under her charcoal coat. I dared a peek. Celestia's solar-heated libido. The street was full of hellhounds. Scores of them. More were moving out of doorways and climbing over buildings. All moving towards us. And they looked pissed. Footnote! Maximum level! Damn Enclave! I don't know well enough when they should just leave things the hell alone! Get some kill down here all the fucking time! They should know well enough by now that sometimes we wastelanders just know better than they do about what's going on down here, and how not to get killed by it! Stupid featherbrain morons! Music time! Here's Skybolt with 99 Problems! Enjoy, people! 99 problems that are going on! It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.